Welcome back to the Win Daily Podcast for today. It is August 28th, 2019. I am Scott Engel. I am the king. I am fantasy alongside here with uh, the real Jerry Colvin. No imposters, right, Jerry? No imposters here. This is all Jerry. Yeah. Have you have you actually dealt with any imposters before? No, I was just uh, back in the day. Matt Kemp was my favorite player. So I just kind of ripped them off. The real Matt Kemp, the real Jerry Colvin. Nothing. Was, there, was there a Matt Kemp imposter? Uh, I don't know. We'll have to ask Matt Kemp if we can get him on the podcast. Oh, okay. It's very hard. I'll tell you from covering uh, the major leagues for years, Matt Kemp will always give you a very polite, no, I don't have time. You know, I will say one thing about Matt Kemp, though, is I go to City Field uh, at least once a year while the Dodgers in town, and I sit in the boxes next to the Dodger dugout there. Right. And every year that Kemp was there, uh, both him and actually every time I saw Jack Peterson, they'd both sign a baseball for me. So as far as I'm concerned, it's pretty stand up to sign for the fans, at least. Oh, yeah. yeah Matt's not a jerk about it, but, uh, you know, he, he, he'd rather not talk to the media. Well, yeah. Yeah, but if this is me we're talking about. Well, know. yeah. He doesn't know the king like I know him. Yeah, he doesn't. He Not should. Everybody does. <laughs> but uh, today we'll talk some more fantasy football and get to the MLB DFS slate like we're doing. Uh, we're going to have a lot of preseason tomorrow uh, as well. So uh, full coverage today from our Andrew Erickson right on the homepage. So make sure you check that out. Uh but you know, let's start with NFL DFS and uh, and football. And uh, I have a I'm having a best ball draft, a slow draft on fan tracks right now. And you know, talking to Anthony Aniano, wrote a baller recently on our Sirius XM uh, show. Then you can hear Saturday nights and Sunday mornings. Uh, and we're talking about one guy called in and said, "You know what? I ha- I have these keepers. I have Hill." I have Mahomes, and I have somebody else. And my instant gut reaction was, no, you don't want to keep a quarterback. I don't care if it's Mahomes. Then I rethought my stance because last year I won four leagues. In two of them, I had Hill and Mahomes. You're talking after 16 weeks, the weeks that count in fantasy football. Hill was the number one wide receiver. Patrick Mahomes was the number one quarterback. Now, we talk about, uh, obviously, connecting these guys in DFS. And I think every every week of the season, you should have at least one lineup with Hill and Mahomes in it every week. But I think that goes for other types of fantasy football gaming as well. I'm doing a best ball draft on fan tracks right now. And the first, first overall pick, I probably probably stunned everybody by taking Tyree Hill fourth overall. And then I said, let me chance it and see if it comes around. Uh, you know, because in a best ball draft, you got more experienced players. I found that made some mainstream fantasy football players don't even know what a best ball is. And I come back in the second round and I took Hill. And I said, this is an upside play just like it is in DFS, Jerry. I said, I said, these guys could help me with my best ball league. And then I'm thinking in seasonal, why not do it too? If I'm 11, if I'm going back to back 12 and one, and I feel good enough about my draft strategy and my <laughs> experience, I can go Hill and Mahomes back to back. It's the only situation. If I can get Hill and Mahomes together, that I would go back to back 
and take a quarterback early. Other than that, I'm totally against quarterback early. But if, if I got Hill and Mahomes together, I got to think about it in every fantasy format. Yeah, well, I mean, Mahomes threw, what, over 50 touchdown passes last season and over 5,000 yards. I mean, the thing that that's kind of stunning about that, though, is I was looking into it a little more, and, and actually there's no uh, quarterback who's thrown for more yardage the following season whenever he's done that. So, I mean, I, I think there's definitely going to be a little regression there just from statistics-wise, but still, it's definitely the top quarterback, in my opinion, and that's probably the top hookup. I mean, at one time, I probably would have said Roethlisberger and Brown, but Big Ben's kind of like uh, falling off the map a little bit, and it's definitely Mahomes and Hill now. I don't think Big Ben should fall off the mat. I don't want to revere, veer too far from this Chiefs thing that we're talking about, but right. Roethlisberger is the 13th quarterback off the board. People are overrating the loss of Antonio Brown. If you've watched the Steelers for years, Jerry, Brent Roethlisberger has lost three number one wide receivers who he helped create and still succeeded. He's coming off the best season of his career. He had Hines Ward. He had Santonio Holmes. He had Mike Wallace. He lost all three of them, and he was still a very good fantasy quarterback. <laughs> and especially for best ball and DFS purposes, he can have a big game in any week. Yeah, I guess looking at the, from that side, I'll have to agree. That's some excellent analysis there. Yeah, thanks a lot, Jerry. Appreciate You're it. You're welcome. Yeah, I give myself a nice pat on the back after that. Uh, but uh, you know, that's the only way I would do it. Now, as far as far as the rest of the Chiefs, Damian Williams, people that take him as like an RB two, I think he can be a back end RB one. First off, people freaked out because they said Andy Reid say committee, and what committee means to an NFL team and what it means to a fantasy player is two different things. Fantasy player fears committee. Oh crap! You know those guys are all going to share time. Uh, but what he meant, what he meant was, and the running backs coach clarified for the Chiefs is they're going to have maybe two to three running backs all touch the ball at various points of the game. But Damian Williams is clearly the lead running back for the Kansas City Chiefs. He, uh, the running backs coach said the other guys are just going to supplement him. So to me, Damian Williams, he played very well down the stretch. He's still got to prove it over a full season. But to me, he's a back-end RB1 because he's a versatile pass catcher. You saw a 64-yard touchdown reception last week in a preseason game. He could do it all. And he's the, the, the main touchdown guy for the best offense in the NFL. And there's no way I can disagree with you there. The way Mahomes likes to throw the ball, and he's a much better pass catcher than Carlos Hyde, that's for sure. So I'm definitely 100% on that. Yeah, well, Hyde might not even make the team for the published reports. Darwin Thompson is uh, the other guy that they've been talking about. He's had a terrific preseason, but I can't see him having enough standalone value unless Damian Williams gets hurt. Right. I agreed. Uh, so, uh, so at receiver, Sammy Watkins is the number two right now, but you know, to me, he's more of a DFS play because – even with Kansas City last year, he was kind of up and down, and he always gets hurt. Yeah, well, he had that lingering foot issue last year, too, that kept him off the field a bit. But the thing with him, especially I noticed last year in DFS, he really is kind of one of them boomer bust plays. You know, you got to hope he gets open downfield and gets a catch. Yeah, well, it was the foot thing last year, Jerry. It's always something with Sammy Watkins. Yeah, he's the, uh, uh, yeah, he's the Sammy. <laughs> Uh, he's a broken Sammy. That's what he is. Travis Kelsey, 
obviously, uh, you know, a great overall fantasy pick, number one in his position. People always say, when's too early to go for Kelsey? I would say probably the first round is only too early. I have ranked 15th overall. Yeah, I would definitely take Kelsey in the uh, second round. Or, yeah, I mean, the bottom line is there's not a lot of tight ends out there who you know you're going to get a lot of fantasy production out of besides Zach Ertz. So anytime you have Kelsey on your team, especially now, let me ask you a question. If you can't get Hill, but you can grab Mahomes and Kelsey, would you do that? Uh, I would I would strongly consider that as well. But the thing with Hill is he's more of an upside playmaker than Kelsey. Kelsey's more consistent in a seasonal league, yeah, but in a, in a best ball, probably not. Uh, I can I can see that for sure. Yeah, and then you got Miko Hardman, who's the rookie, and if Watkins gets hurt, uh, you know he can stretch the field as well. And in leagues where you get points for kick and punt returns, I think it'll help. But right now, uh, you know, this, this Mahomes could have another big year because there's so much speed at receiver that uh, the local media and fans have dubbed the receiving core the Legion of Zoom. You know, the more I looked into the Chiefs, it, it, they, the more exciting they've actually kind of become for this season overall offensively when you look over the entire NFL. I, I can see myself having a lot of Chief shares in the next couple of days during drafts. Yeah, I. the thing is, is the whole concept of fantasy sports and fantasy football is to make your sporting experience more fun. And I probably had more fun watching the Chiefs last year than I can ever imagine a, a, a team that was not my favorite team because you're just ringing up the fantasy points when you watch them. And it was also nice to see, you know, I mean, the Patriots are there every year and this and that, but it was kind of see, nice to see the Chiefs around, you know? It just, I like that variance in the end of the season when you just got some teams that kind of, you know, came up on you. Yeah, well... I like variants, too. I like to see the Seahawks back in the Super Bowl for the first time in five years so we can have some variants there. I'm a Colts fan, so my season's pretty much done already. <laughs> so Jacoby Brissett isn't a terrible quarterback, but I don't. I think he's probably good enough to lose with. I honestly think we were done even if Luck stayed, so <laughs> I don't think that really makes a difference. Luck was always so spongy, I never counted on having him on the field in the first place. Yeah, uh, you actually go to rotoballer.com. I wrote a fantasy eulogy on uh, on uh, on Andrew Luck, and uh, you know this guy. You know the 2014 season was spectacular, a great rookie year, and you really thought you had something. How do how do you feel about the fans booing him? Yeah, you know at the end of the day, the guy's still got to live the rest of his life, and he's young. I mean, and he's been bashed, bashed, and beaten, and battered, and I mean. <laughs> Uh, I, I can't say I blame him. He's got plenty enough money to live the rest of his life. Why limp? <laughs> yeah, it's not fun for him anymore. Uh, Rob Gronkowski came out and said that this week that he retired because he was in so much pain. He, he said uh, this week uh, in an interview, uh, I can't remember the source exactly. It, it might have been Men's Magazine, GQ or something. I don't know exactly. But he said after they won their last Super Bowl, he was in so much pain. He almost couldn't enjoy the celebration. And uh, then Richard Sherman tweeted something, too, that, you know, was really eye-opening as well. He said, you know, none of none of the people who played have not played in the game at this level don't realize what we put up, put to put our bodies through. You know, and, and not to open an entirely new discussion, but I mean, the, the subject of adding on games into the NFL, I mean, that, that's. That seems like it could really hurt some of the players. Them extra games, I mean, it's real easy as a fan to say, I'd love more games, but 
we're not the ones getting thrown down and bashed and tackled. And <laughs> so it's easy for me to say. Yeah, we want two more weeks of like, ooh, look at that hit. Two well, more weeks of the millionaire contest. That's, that's what everybody yeah. wants. That's what everybody wants. But what if they eliminate some of the preseason? Even then, the preseason games, regardless, I think, should be eliminated. At least cut two of them out. I mean, it just seems there's a lot of useless injuries in preseason. Yeah, like it, and it also is just like a longer evaluation process, uh, you know, for, for for some of these rookies. Like, it really doesn't do anything to the veterans. You give the veterans some training camp and uh, just let them play. But the Thursday night game, is that that's always been a, a controversy over the last few years because of the short turnaround. It's, it's really added to controversy because players feel like they don't have enough time and you know, to get into the weekly game shape. And there's been a lot of, of, of major injuries on Thursday night games. Yeah, and there's been a lot of, not not to sound uh, harsh here, crap games on Thursday nights too. And it almost feels like like if Major League Baseball was once a week, they'd want to throw the Padres facing the Marlins on a Thursday night, you know? <laughs> yeah. Well, every team gets to play once on Thursday night, so... Uh, you know, it ultimately works out. You're listening to the Win Daily Fantasy Podcast with Jerry Colvin and Scott Engel. Tomorrow will be Matt Strike, will be myself and um, and Matt Stryker. Um, so you know, let's let's keep this let's keep this uh, let's keep this moving on. Uh, and uh, let's get to fantasy baseball. Uh, we'll go with the night sleep to take uh, the Battle of Washington again, uh, the Battle of Maryland. Asher Wojciechowski for the Baltimore Orioles going against Max Scherzer of the Nationals. I don't think Scherzer's worth the 11000 uh, you know, when he's still working his way back into form and admitting he's not 100%. But uh, you can stack here with, with some Nationals uh, against Asher Wojciechowski. Uh, Juan Soto's 5300 uh, Adam Eaton's 4,800. Uh, you want to save some money. Matt Adams is 4,400. Brian Dozier's only 3,800. And Jan Gomes is 3,300. Uh, what do you think of a national stack tonight? Yeah, that's a hard one to disagree with. I mean, the Nationals' bats have been pretty hot lately, and the, the left-handed side of the hitting uh, for the Nationals certainly is very enticing tonight. I'll have some shares in Juan Soto and Matt Adams for sure. I don't know how much Eaton I'll have, even though he does have a lot of potential tonight. Okay, uh, let's move on to uh, to the Atlanta Braves and the Toronto Blue Jays. Jacob Wagaspak uh, against Mike Fultonevich. Uh, Fultonevich has been completely unreliable. You know, maybe go with a few Toronto bats here, uh, including Justin Smoke at thirty eight hundred, uh, and then of course you you have the young bats as well. Uh, Bo Bichette, somebody you certainly want to get in there. And maybe a brave stack against uh, Waggus Pack. Yeah, this game actually could be a very sneaky one tonight, especially with a Coors Field game. And the thing really to remember about uh, Jacob Waggus Pack is that he has reverse splits. So Atlanta right-handed bats would actually be hitting 299 versus lefties at 157. Now, I'm not saying I wouldn't put in lefties because, I mean, Freddie Freeman is Freddie Freeman. And even Matt Joyce comes out and surprises you a lot of nights. But I, in GPPs tonight, I, I'd be sneaking around throwing some stacks in on both sides of this game. Really? You like the Blue Jays stack? I, I just don't. I have no fear of Fulton A, which, I mean, I know he has strikeout upside and he has good starts, but in, in Toronto is a very small park, and them kids can really hit the ball. 
Kyle Hendricks going against the Mets, uh, against Noah Syndergaard. Hendricks is 9,100. Syndergaard's going to be a very popular play because, uh, you know, there's not a lot of good pitching on the slate tonight. Uh, at 10,400, uh, Hendricks is somebody you maybe want to use because the Mets offense is kind of petered out lately. Uh, Syndergaard is definitely going to be the most popular cash game play. Yeah, I, I could see playing Syndergaard tonight, and I could actually see Hendricks. Um Myself, I don't plan on using either one of them, and I don't. This is like kind of the situations we had yesterday with a few games where this is kind of just a complete fade for me. And I haven't seen the hourly yet for the weather, but I know there is some chance of rain tonight in New York, so you might want to keep an eye on that. But I certainly couldn't argue with anybody taking so Syndergaard or even Hendricks in a GPP tonight against the Mets. Okay, uh, Cleveland and Detroit. Aaron Savali looks like a great uh, pick at seven thousand. Uh, even after like Pluko was last night was able to strike out nine and Jordan Zimmerman, you got to be like in a, a Cleveland stack here. Although Zimmerman has pitched better recently, it doesn't seem like uh, that ever lasts when it happens. Uh, you got Puig for just forty one hundred, even though you don't get to split Lindor forty nine hundred on DraftKings. Uh, you can go with Tyler Naquin at 3,500, Kipnis at 3,700. Real nice and easy to build a Cleveland stack. And how do you like Savali tonight, too? Savali's actually my favorite play tonight, especially comparing the price versus what you could get out of him. I mean, 7K on DraftKings is an incredible value tonight. And the last time he faced the Tigers, he absolutely dominated him. He shut him right out, striking out six. And the, and the greatest part about this all is the Tigers over the last seven days are striking out over 31% of the time with a weighted runs created plus of 66. 66 is almost like you have a Babe Ruth team. They're heading to T-ball status there. So Savali is uh, definitely somebody I'm hot on. I I plan on running him as my SB2 in all of my DraftKings lineups tonight because I'm just not afraid of a blow-up here. And as far as the bats go, I mean, the, the Cleveland bats, I can just see them absolutely destroying Zimmerman tonight. So I wouldn't be afraid to stack any of them from either side of the plate. Obviously, a lot of people are going to stack the cores game, but you might want to, like, pivot off of that and go with Cleveland. And then maybe if you really want, you know, those cores field bats in your lineup, uh, you could go with Savali and Andy DiSclefani uh, as your one-two. DiSclefani's face in Miami. He's just 7,800. And maybe some Reds bats, too, against Sandy Alcantara. You know, I, I've actually, I actually am really hot on DiScafani today. I mean, the Marlins are terrible. They're they're striking out over 25% of the time versus righties. I mean, so there's a lot of upside here. Even though DiScafani isn't exactly Nolan Ryan, he does have a slight K upside to him, especially facing a team like Miami. Um, the only thing is, I can totally see running him with Savali, but I think for just a couple grand more, there might be a better option later on in the evening. So I'm kind of planning on pairing that one in GPPs. As far as bats go, this one is another one of them games like the Mets-Cubs game where it's just I, I have a hard time getting a feeling Miami's should be terrible, but they're coming out a couple days and putting up some runs like they did yesterday to Castillo. And the Cincinnati bats in a bigger park like Miami could absolutely go dead quiet today. So the bats for both sides of this, unless you're trying a really large field GPP, are both kind of out of play. Minnesota's in Chicago. Jake Odorizzi has been up and down, but uh... – you have to like him uh, against the White Sox. Russ Detweiler, you know, will certainly uh, will recommend another another stack here with Minnesota. Uh, but you know, it's it's it, they're they're an expensive team. It's it's not easy to get a lot of the bats in there. You'd have to uh, spend fifty five hundred for Cruz or Sano. 
Uh, CJ Crone's only 4,400. Mauro Gonzalez, 3,900. Um, Jonathan Scope homered last night. He's 4,300. So you can do a twin stack tonight as well. I'd definitely be interested in a twin stack. And uh, Mitch Garver, I mean, he might be hitting leadoff. So the right-handed bats are hitting 326 off of Detweiler, and they're in Chicago, which, you know, has its fair share of runs scored. I could definitely see a Minnesota stack. Hey, would you pivot off of Odorizzi knowing there are cheaper pitchers available? Yes. I, ha- okay. I, have, I don't plan on having any shares in Odorizzi, and it just seems like the White Sox, as of late, have been putting up okay numbers in what seems like should be easy matchups for the opposing pitcher. Tampa Bay's at Houston, Ryan Yarbrough against Garrett Cole. Garrett Cole's 12200 You really don't have to spend it with cheaper pitchers on the slate. Ryan Yarbrough's pitched well, but I think you avoid him tonight. You know, in cash games on DraftKings, I consider taking Cole and trying to pair him with, like, a Savali. And just for the pure upside, he's, I think at the end of the night, Cole's still going to put up the most fantasy points out of any of the pitchers we see this evening. And... The bat-wise in this game, this I ain't taking any on either side, and I'm certainly not going to take Ryan Yarborough against the Houston Astros. There's just too much offensive power in them, right-handed bats. So bat-wise, I'm completely staying away from this game, but I will be using some Garrett Cole. Okay, Elklins at Kansas City, Tanner Roark for just 8,400 against the Royals. And maybe even some Oakland bats against Jason Bunis. There, There's a lot of hitting on this slight, slate tonight. Matt Olson, forty-seven hundred is one guy. Uh, Chapman at forty-six hundred. Uh, Chris Davis is just thirty-five hundred. So you can run an Oakland mini stack. Yeah, and anytime you, if you pay attention to over/unders, I mean, it, they kind of give you an indication of where your sneaky stacks can lie. This one's got an OU of nine, so that tells me that there's a chance to get some runs scored tonight. And there's a lot of games that I think people are going to attack more than this one. This could be a real sneaky stack, and I wouldn't be afraid to take bats from both teams. What about Roark against uh, the Royals? I'm not touching that one. I still think there's better options all over the place rather than Tanner Roark. Uh, probably the best stack of uh, the, the night tonight is Boston going against Peter Lambert in Colorado. I'm not so crazy about the Colorado Bats going against Erod. You know, yeah, and Erod's been pitching great as of late, and I'm pretty sure he has reverse splits as well where he's real tough on right-handed hitters. And everybody's going to gravitate towards Arenado right away. And, I mean, of course, anytime a lefty comes into Coors Field, Arenado's in play. And I'm sure he's going to be a huge play in both cash games and GPPs. But the Red Sox side of things is going to be absolute fire again like last night. And I plan on taking batters from both sides of the plate as much as I can squeeze in. Uh, the Dodgers are at the Padres. Kenta Maeda for 8000 against Trey Wingenter. Uh, we don't know a lot about Wingenter, and sometimes, you know, going against an unknown pitcher is, is kind of a risk. Uh, this has an avoid look to me tonight. You know, I love Ken Amade tonight, and I usually, he's like what a the shock. One, well, actually, let me be honest here. He's the, I think I may have even said this in one of our previous podcasts. He's like one of the Dodgers I usually don't take. But San Diego, even though he's had his ups and downs with him, he's had one really strong start. I think he struck out like 12 in a shutout earlier in the season. So I'm in my edit tonight, and at 8K, I just think he's a little safer than uh, Di Scalfani. So I'm going to have some shares in Maeda and the Dodger left-handed bats for sure. Then you got Texas at the Angels, Emmanuel Clase against Patrick Sandoval. Two openers. Uh, you know, this game has a stay-away look to it. You think so? I, I yeah. kind of like this game, and I actually like the Angels bats tonight as a sneaky stack. Especially the lefties, Cole Calhoun, Otani. I would go with all of them. 
I just I have a feeling this game's going to be a little higher scoring than people think, and then I don't think there's going to be a lot of ownership, and I definitely might have a trout or two in my lineup tonight. Okay. All right, I can see that. All right, so stacks-wise, we like Boston, Cleveland, Minnesota, uh, Atlanta, and Toronto are the best. Many stacks you consider Washington, the Angels, and the A's. And uh, pitching-wise, Garrett Cole, uh, Kent Amayated, Anthony DiSclefani, and Aaron Savali. So we'll, we'll be saving some money on pitching tonight. Yeah, and like I said, in, on DK, I wouldn't be afraid to do a Cole Savali and maybe a Savali Maeda. All right. Thanks a lot for listening to the Wind Daily podcast. Uh, tomorrow it'll be myself and Matt Stryker. For, uh, for Jerry Coleman, I'm Scott Engel, and we'll see you tomorrow.